0: Hey, y'all. Hi. Welcome back to episode, Who Fucking Knows? Oh, <laughs> uh, we're in those numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I won't I won't torture you with the others. I will torture the mixtape people, though, because mm-hmm. we're definitely in the tooties now. <laughs> I, like, love and hate that. I know, so I just wanted <laughs> to say it just to piss you off. Also, if you've never listened to us before, welcome. You yes. will hear the F-bomb. You already did. You already did. <laughs> We christened you. It's a little shock therapy for you. Yeah, we figure just get it out there. The other thing is, this is a discussion-based podcast. Sure is. It is not Forensic Files. No. So, we're we, warning you now. We love Forensic Files, oh, but we well, couldn't cut the mustard, you know what I mean? Certainly not. No. Listen to us. I know. So, if you're looking for just just the facts... You may want to breeze on past this. Yeah. That's fine. And that's totally fine. If you want two trash bags talking at length about things related to true crime, but also some 90s things, Mm -hmm. look no further. Yeah. If you want to feel like you're having a brewski or a glass of wine with your besties. Or a White Claw. Oh, or a White Claw. And uh, you're talking about a case, then look no further. Yeah. Here we are. We here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, here we are <laughs> i don't even know how it's to- what some of the kids are saying they also <laughs> say they call songs that they like bops we've discussed this. i still can't get over that so anyway i know nothing about what the kids are doing these days okay let's, right. do it. Enough, let's do it enough Stop of the it. bullshit. Stop. here we go this week we're covering jessica chambers we've had a lot of requests
1: mm-hmm. for
0: it we get requests all over the place P.S. Here's a plug for the form. We get requests all over the place. Sloane, our angel from heaven, she will try. If you send it all over everywhere, she will find it, and she will try and add it to the sheet. Bless her. What a sweet, sweet gift from baby Jesus. I gave up. I couldn't do it anymore. She will try to find it. However, if you put it on the form on our website, we will get it. Mm -hmm. And by God we might cover it because <laughs> we have a lot now. We have like the next eight years worth of stuff on there, but yeah. thank you to Amber Rose. And I believe I'm saying this right. I hope Talia mm. both beautiful names. Yes. And so- if you fill out the form 60% of the time, we will cover it all of the time. Exactly. And a hundred percent of the time Sloan will see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she will remind <laughs> I would us say she's about 115% of the time. Good God, that woman, she's a blessing. Uh, who also researched this case for us. Yay. Thank you. She's a man of many talents. She sure is. Yep. So without further ado, because now we're 80 minutes into this. Yeah, if you liked the discussion base, you probably don't (laughs) after this. (laughs) Like, all right, that's about enough (laughs) Fucking discussion, okay? (laughs) I'm over it. (laughs) Okay, here we are. On December 6, 2014, emergency services were dispatched to a car fire. When the volunteer firefighters arrived, they found a car that was burned down to the metal. Then they saw a person walking toward them who had been severely burned. It was barely alive. Some of the firefighters would later testify that she was walking almost like a zombie, the way her arms were out and the gait of her walk. And they're not trying to be funny at all. I mean, these poor firefighters, their testimony, you can tell that they are scarred for life. I cannot imagine that walking up to me. No. That stays with you. And it gives you a visual, too, because they're saying, like, her arms were out. It's horrible. And she's just... She's just burned everywhere. They said she was burned all over her body and she was wearing nothing but her panties. A young volunteer firefighter attempted to cover her with a blanket just to try and protect her decency. The first responders asked the girl for her name and because she wasn't recognizable. This is a tiny town. It's uh, Cortland, Mississippi. It's in Panola County. It has a population of about 500 people. Like, when they talk to... Oh, I should tell you, I guess... We're covering Jessica Chambers' case from the perspective of the oxygen special unspeakable crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers. So it's a seven-part documentary, so we're covering that. Um, But in that, they talked to people that lived in the town and family members of Jessica Chambers, and they, they all said, this is one of those towns, it's not like you might see the same person sometimes when you go places, it's like you see somebody and you're like, hey, Mary Jane, how's your mom and them? Like, let me return your casserole dish to you. Like like the town is no bigger than my mother's Jack Russell. Exactly. It's a very small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody calls you friend. I think we'll find in this town they do not. Oh. I know it. I know it. It's a town divided, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But the point of that is, she was so badly burned that nobody recognized her. And then when they asked her her name, even though her lips at her mouth were just completely charred and covered in soot, she told them that her name was Jessica Chambers and they all knew her and they were just like, holy shit, this is Jessica Chambers. Like they would not have known it otherwise. It's, it's terrible. mm Jessica Chambers was, at this time, a 19-year-old girl with big, beautiful blue eyes and blonde hair. She had a huge smile and amazing dimples, all in a tiny body. Jessica was full of life and could be stubborn as a mule, according to her dad. Her mom said that she always did I love you in sign language. Jessica was always good when her friends and family needed a laugh, and they said she was always doing crazy stuff just to get a laugh, and she was just a good person. In this area, football is a top priority. In the documentary, the district attorney, John Champion, was like, you know, here we've got our we've got our football. And, you know, on Saturday you go to the game and on Sunday morning you go to church. So we've got our football, but we do also have our faith. And I was like, <laughs> That's such a southern town to two like two big Fs. <laughs> exactly. But football, football is number one. Oh no, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. But they also said that, and I'm going to fuck this stat up, guys, so get ready for that. Thanks for going ahead with it. I know. But just listen. I think you'll see what I'm trying to get at here. They said that, like, more players from her high school went to the NFL. Here's where I can't remember, and, you You can't remember the most important part of it. Yeah. So it's either... in the South or like in the area, I don't know, but more football players went to the NFL from her school than somewhere else. I, I'm not sure <laughs> what that part was, but it was like, it was a lot of football players. Um, but Jessica was a cheerleader. And so she attended all of those football games and she was a flyer, which is the ones they throw up in the air. And her dad was always worried they were going to drop her. And he freaked out. He said, every time he watched her cheer, cause he said, sometimes they did drop her. He got worried. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't, I feel like when you're, especially when you're learning something new, yeah, you make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. That's true. She loved being a cheerleader. Um, she thought about being a teacher or an author when she grew up, but she really wanted to be a nurse. So that was her plan. Her parents, Lisa and Ben Chambers, divorced when she was just three years old. But they lived within an eighth of a mile from each other. So, again, just kind of illustrating how close in proximity everybody is in this town. Jessica had two older sisters named Ashley and AJ and an older brother named Alan. And then she had a half-sister named Annabelle. Her father had remarried a woman named Debbie. It's weird that they didn't go with another A name for Jessica. It is. Ashley, AJ, and Alan, and Jessica. Jessica. And Annabelle. Oh, and Annabelle, yeah. Yeah, that is weird. Even though she was mostly your typical teenager, she'd started to have a harder time at school and was being more rebellious. She decided she didn't want to be a cheerleader anymore, and her dad said that's how he knew something was wrong. When she was 17, her older brother Alan died in a car accident. He was 28 years old. Her family said that Jessica lost part of herself when Alan died, and that was a breaking point for her. She started hanging out with a new group of friends, including known gang members, and after Christmas of her senior year, she dropped out of high school. She had a hard time for a while, but eventually she decided she wanted to be better and turn her life around. In late summer of 2014, Jessica spent a month in Leah's house, Christian Rehab for Women. This was a place for women and girls who needed to find their way. Jessica even cleaned up her look, no longer the rolled out of bed and into town look as her aunt described. She got a job, and her whole personality changed. She was proud of herself. It's so sad that it's that summer of 2014, and then we come back to December 6th of 2014, and this is the day that we find this burned car. Um, her mother Lisa said that that was a regular day up until the event. Like Jessica went to the store and came back around 12:30 to one. She got in her pajamas and curled up in their big recliner, and she took a nap. Around 4.45 to 5.15 p.m., she got a text or a phone call. Her mom can't remember which, and she got up to leave. She told her mom she'd be back to clean her room, and she was just going to go get something to eat. Her mom called her a little while later, and Jessica told her she'd be back soon and that she loved her. And her mom said she loved her, too, and that was the last time that Lisa spoke with Jessica. Around 8.25 p.m., former volunteer firefighter Eddie Ideson, I think, came to the scene of the car fire. He said that when he got there, Jessica was laying on her side on a blanket on the ground, only in her panties. He could feel the heat from the car, even though they weren't right next to it. The team gave her the only medical assistance they could provide at the scene. With every breath she took, skin near her nose would go in and out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's awful. Her skin was red, and it looked like she had charcoal rubbed all over her. And um, Eddie said she wasn't complaining of pain, but that she was shaking so much. And he asked if she was cold, and she nodded. He said he, she wasn't talking very much. And you'd think she wouldn't be able to talk very much. Right. And I think if there's, not that there's a silver lining at all, but you would just hope that she's not feeling any pain. Well, I've when we used to watch that show, I survived there were those two, they were in a plane and the, yes. yes, the plane caught on fire and they were trapped in it. They were trapped in it. And one of them said that it was, it's unsettling because you can hear like, you know, when, when you're being, when you're on fire, you start off screaming and then all of a sudden you just stop because all of the nerves are burned off and you can't feel anything after a while. Mm, that's awful. It's, I don't know, almost a small mercy, at least, that it stops, hopefully, quickly. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just so sad. Another first responder, Brandy Davis, asked her if she knew who did this, and she said, Eric. Now, obviously, you're not going to forget this, but please do remember this, because in the first trial, there's going to be more than one trial, but in the first trial, All of these first responders, I think they say over, like, 17 of them, ask her who did this to her, and they say, like, this person, Brandy, said, she said to me plain as day, Eric did this. Like, that's what they say, Eric, Eric, Eric. So just keep that in mind because it's going to go all over the damn place. At 8.30 p.m., the sheriff's department had to make the heartbreaking phone call to Ben Chambers, letting him know that his daughter had been burned. When her parents got to the hospital, the doctor came out and told them that there was nothing he could do. Ben begged him to help her, but Jessica was burned over 95% of her body. Lisa went back to see Jessica and said that she didn't know what, oh God, she didn't know what these other people saw, but all she saw was her baby girl. (laughs) Lisa held her daughter's hand and told her it was okay. She could go. Jessica took her last breath with her mother by her side. Jessica's mother said that she feels so much pain and guilt about telling her it was okay, but she knew she couldn't keep her. That is so sad. Isn't it? So sad. But it's almost like she needed her to, I don't know, she needed her to say it was okay or something. You know? Yeah. Okay, so we had to do a little finagling because my, um, because Torella has a heart. (laughs) My sappy ass couldn't stop crying about it. Okay. We shall persevere, everybody. Two days after Jessica died, a special task force was set up to investigate the events of the night that led to the murder of Jessica so they could attempt to find the person that did this. The task force consisted of the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, and the local police. Wow. Yeah. They, like, went all out. Well, they kind of went all out. Well... We'll continue. They went most of the way out. Yeah, they went They went some of the way out. They interrogated 30 to 40 suspects that night. And they, the police said suspects. They may have meant, like, question witnesses. I don't know exactly what they meant by that. But because the first responders at the scene stated that they heard Jessica say Eric or Derek. So some of them said they thought she might have said Derek. But a lot of them said, like, they were just... They were dead set that it was either Eric or Derek. Eric did this, Derek did this, like one of the two. The investigators found and interviewed every Eric or Derek in the county, which is, I guess, kind of not hard to do because you only got 500 to start with, right? So, So there's two and a half Erics. Right. And one Derek. Mm -hmm. All right, done. So (laughs) now they said none of them turned out to be credible leads. People in the town were scared to talk about the murder and the investigation because the person or persons who did this was still around them and unfortunately we live in a time where everything is public knowledge on social media this case quickly became fodder for armchair detectives but not always for the better jessica's older sister aj created a facebook page called justice for jessica and within 24 hours there were upwards of 150,000 followers i mean for this happening in a town that small Like, that many people. It's crazy. A journalist for BuzzFeed, Katie J.M. Baker, noted that a few other pages were created, such as Jessica Chambers' mystery, where quote-unquote wannabe detectives, which were her words, would go on and post their thoughts and theories about the ongoing investigation. Rumors started flying that the murder was gang-related and or drug-related. The district attorney, John Champion, said that they looked into the gangs, and they actually had gang members helping them. Jessica was friends with some gang members, but she was not a member of any gangs, and despite there being no indication that this was race-related, in the public eye, this was a race war. Anyone who knew Jessica knew that she didn't care about race. Jessica loved everyone and would actually be angry at the separation that happened in the aftermath of her death. Rumors developed about her previous boyfriend, Brian Rudd, but he was alibied early, Then they looked into her most recent boyfriend, Travis Sanford, who Lisa Chambers says, which is her mom, to the best of her knowledge, Jessica was dating when she died. However, Travis was in jail at the time of the murder. Ben Chambers also became a suspect early on because, as we all know, police are going to look into family relationships first and then ideally work their way out. Uh, plus, Ben had a little bit of a seedy past involving drug addictions in a two-year prison stay in 2004 for possession of methamphetamine. Oh, for possession of methamphetamines and intent to manufacture. Was it methamphetamines? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? <laughs> that is a very particular strain that you can find only in Panola County. <laughs> <laughs> methamphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> um. Ben cleaned up his act, though, and was never a viable suspect, and the police questioned him, but they quickly dismissed him. In the rumor mill, Ben was the suspect because, quote, unquote, he didn't want Jessica dating black guys and was upset that she was dating black guys, according to him. So that, I don't know, this whole, this whole case is very, it's a very racially charged case, the Probably being in South. Yeah, I was gonna say taking place in Mississippi. Yeah, and and like the the Buzzfeed reporter Katie said that, you know, it was kind of one of those things where it was like white people said because the person who be- gets charged with this murder and goes on trial twice is a black man, mm. so they're they're saying, well, look at this, we have a white girl and a black guy killed her, and then she said the black people were saying, well, look at this, a white girl was killed and got to be they're, a black guy. Yeah, they're sure. going after a black guy for it. So it's it just started this it was probably just fuel for that already divide. It's like there's some people that just are like, well, look at that, you know? Yes. They just they look for stuff and try to make something out of nothing necessarily. Mountain out of a molehill type of thing. Exactly. I mean, it should never matter it's a person killed a person. Yeah, it's not doesn't always have to be about race. No. And I know sometimes that is a motivation for people sure. like Sure. but so is religion. So I mean there are all kinds of reasons why people kill. Yeah. To just jump on race immediately doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and also if that wasn't the motivation, like if it was I could see why that would be the forefront of the conversation, sure. I guess, but yeah, like right now I mean, we still don't have a guilty verdict. So right now we know that Jessica Spoiler Chambers, alert. <laughs> Jessica Chambers, a person was murdered by another person. Like, it's just so crazy what people hold on to. Yes. And Ben was real. They talked to him about that in the, in the documentary, just like, were you upset with Jessica for that? And he was like, look, that's just, he said, that's the way I was grown up. Like. That's just how we were around here. He was like, I have black friends. Uh, They're more than welcome to come to the house, just like anybody else is. But he said he just doesn't believe in in interracial couples. I know there's lots of people like that. You know, whether or not we agree with it, it's just, I don't think he, I don't think that was a motivation for murder for him. Right. You know? Right. It just, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, whether or not we agree with it, doesn't really matter yeah so the internet called lisa a drug addict and basically called everyone in jessica's life a suspect i mean people people got really really crazy on the internet with this case and we're like digging into the lives of people around jessica and and i understand to some degree obviously people need to be vetted and things like that but like the BuzzFeed reporter talked to somebody who was really active on one of these groups. And I don't know that he really understood what her interview was about. It was almost like he thought she was like, wow, you're doing all this investigating and all this stuff. But she was asking him questions like, is this something you do a lot? Like you live in where? And he's like, I don't know, Massachusetts or something. And she's like, do you often investigate cases that you've never been to the location? You're not in the city. You don't know anybody there. Like, where are you getting this information? He's like, well, it's stuff I find online. And it's like fake news, man. Like she was, you know, asking him questions about it. And he's like, I don't know. I just like dig this shit up online or whatever. And then I ruined people's lives with it. Like I watched a few episodes of murder. She wrote. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, there are some people that literally like have had their lives ruined by people spreading, rumors about them and stuff and I don't know it's crazy the saddest thing is in the day and age that we live in nothing has to be true it just has to be hurled Mm -hmm. just just put out there and that's all it takes to ruin your entire life like I'll tell you what just today before we started recording I'm not going to repeat the fact that I quoted to you I read something somewhere and I was like Tori did you know that Blah, blah, blah. and she's like oh my god I did not know that and I was like let me verify let me find where I found it and I googled it and it was not true <laughs> and I don't know where I saw it but I was like good god you made it up in your own mind I saw it somewhere read it in a book but it's kind of scary right like we see so much information maybe I combined something I saw you know like you right. read 47 articles in a day and you're like you know, I get them confused or whatever. I don't know what I did, but like stuff gets posted and that does not mean it's fact. That's just all there is to it. Like mm-hmm. y- Facebook should not be your main source of news. No, but and also should, should CNN or, Fo- you know, like CNN. it's all scary. Like <laughs> yeah. it's all scary. It's, you know, there's a hidden agenda guys. Let's get back to it though. Yeah, so then people started saying maybe it was just a car wreck and that her car had run up the embankment, and it was since it was an older car, it just burst into flames. And all the investigations showed that this was not what happened. There were no markings on the ground from tires or on the fence or on the car. Rumors of a drug dealer who was angry over drugs killed Jessica and others that Jessica was an informant for the police and was snitching. That one was fueled by the fact that Ben worked for the sheriff's department as a mechanic. So then people started saying that maybe the, the gang members and stuff that she knew or, like, th- people were saying that she was selling drugs and all this stuff and that since her dad worked for the sheriff's department that somebody killed her because they thought she was going to tell her dad stuff and that he was going to report it back to the police and all these things. Oh. It's a lot of stretching. like Tangled web of yeah. things. If she is selling drugs... And her dad works for the sheriff's department. Do you think she's going to tell her dad, like, hey, dad, I'm going to go, like, sell some drugs. I'll be back later. Like, right? no, she's going to be like, I'm going to go get my toenails painted. <laughs> like, she's not going to say that. So, I don't know. Go get a flurry. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. Over 150 people are interviewed and no lead really went anywhere. The gas station that Jessica went to that night did have surveillance footage. So this is the M&M convenience store. The owner of the store turned over the tape to the police the next day in order to help the investigation. And as we have seen, no good deed goes unpunished uh-huh. because then everybody went after this guy and said, <laughs> said that um, he was basically being proactive because he had something to hide because he obviously killed Jessica mm. and he was super young like in his 20s his facebook photos became something that people pointed to as evidence he had pictures of himself with guns and they said his photos showed him living the thug life <laughs> okay yeah there was a clip of him being interviewed on the news and he was asked are you in a gang to which he said an emphatic no and it eventually became so disruptive to his life that he chose to leave town even after he was cleared by police. So, like, even the people there hearing, like, the police say, he's been cleared, he's not a suspect, we have no interest in him as a suspect whatsoever. People were like, well, he fucking did it. Yeah, they still gave him a hard-ass time. Yeah, and he was like, okay, well, I'm just going to leave then. Like That is so terrible. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff, like, I feel like there's so many things that can can look suspicious later even if there's not a reason that it should be right like ju- uh, and somebody in the south who has guns that's f- damn near everybody like throw a rock you're gonna hit somebody with a gun yeah. like i don't know if everybody takes pictures with them but if if guys are in a hunting or whatever they'll take pictures when when you were 20 what kind of photos were you taking Drunk as hell. Not your best moment, right? I mean, we can give him a pass. Yeah. He wasn't making good choices, but everybody makes bad choices when they're 20. The day that he did turn over the surveillance footage, the police reviewed the tape thoroughly, and they wanted to identify everybody who was at the convenience store that night, and then they ended up bringing in every single person on the video. On December the 12th, 2014, so this is five days later, A visitation and candlelight vigil were held, and a reward was posted for any information leading to an arrest. It started at 11,000, then it went up to 16,000, 32,000. By January 2015, it was up to 43,000, and finally it got up to 54,000, but still no one was willing to come forward with information. And the general feeling in the area was that snitches get stitches. Oh, wow. They say this a lot like, it sounds very scary to live there a little bit. Like, is it that bad? You would not want to make an enemy there. Mm -mm. And especially if you're like a person who can't keep a secret. I mean, my God, I have sometimes a hard time with that. I know we watched that movie Shazam. Oh yeah. Yeah. Last week and the little girl, they're like, how are you at keeping secrets? And she goes, Moderate, <laughs> and her brother's like she can't keep a secret. I don't tell her anything. I can keep secrets from certain people, but other people, they're gonna know immediately. Yeah, like pretty much if you tell me anything, Tori automatically knows it. Yeah, vice versa. It's like the as soon as you hear it, I also hear it in the same moment wherever I am. Yeah, it's we're the same person. Yes. So on December the nineteenth, twenty fourteen, George Boone, Mister was questioned by police. Boone had done 21 years in prison previously, and his last conviction was in 06 for aggravated assault. He was released from that in 2011. He was friends with Jessica, so he talked about their friendship, the time they'd spent together. He did tell a slightly different tale of Jessica's relationship with her family. He said that she didn't have a great relationship with her dad. He said that Jessica's dad didn't agree with her dating black guys and that these guys got her on drugs. He also said that Jessica got addicted to drugs when she was a cheerleader. He said she was lost and trying to get back to who she was, but drugs had a hold on her. When Jessica was down and out, she would come to Boone's house and tell him she was going to spend the night, and Boone did admit that he and Jessica had fooled around, but that they were just friends. He's got to be super older than her. Oh, yeah, if he spent 20-something years in prison. Yeah, so I don't like that, because she was only 19, so how long did he know her? I don't like this because she would have been underage only two years before that. Mm -hmm. On the day that Jessica died, Boone said that he saw her in the morning with a handful of crystal meth that she wanted to trade for cocaine. He told her he didn't have any. So she left. Boone thinks he saw her again on back roads going towards her mom's house. And that was the last time he ever saw her. Boone believes that since this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in their town, the police and investigators want to depend it on someone he also noted that if the black community knew anything, they would say something because they knew her. They knew the real Jessica, he said. She wasn't a saint, but she was a good person. Ben and Lisa Chambers were unhappy with the investigation as a whole and the lack of progress. Early in the investigation, police interviewed a man named Quentin Tellis. He gave them some information in regards to a Derek they could investigate, but when they found out Quentin had been with Jessica the day she was murdered, they circled back to him. At this time, Quentin Tellis is 27 years old, and witnesses placed him with Jessica the day that she died. However, Quentin was able to provide an alibi for about 30 minutes after the time the investigators assumed the fire started. 14 months after Jessica's murder, Quentin Tellis is arrested and charged with the murder of Jessica Chambers. At that time, Quentin lived with his mother, Rebecca, and had three older sisters who he's close with. He and his mother lived about a mile away from Jessica, and he is also a member of the Gangster Disciples. What even is that? I don't know. It's it's a club, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> his sister, LaQuinta, said that Quentin was her best friend and her protector, even though he was younger. She does admit that when he gets mad, he can be a quote-unquote bulldog. When Quentin was in middle school, he started having trouble with teachers and students. He said people would mess with him, and he'd get angry with the teachers. Rebecca, his mother, said that Quentin was never aggressive. He just didn't do so well, so eventually he dropped out. With only an 8th or ninth grade education, he started getting into more trouble outside of school. He was first arrested in 2007 and initially charged with burglary. His first arrest was in 2007, and he was charged with burglary. He was also convicted five more times of fleeing a police office, burglary and larceny, possession of marijuana, DUI, and another burglary in 2011, which, I don't know, I guess burglaries can be violent, but so far those don't seem like violent crimes, they're just crimes. Right. So, that's interesting. Quentin was also not considered a model inmate during his time in jail, getting in trouble for contraband and disobeying the rules. Well, yeah, I mean, the only thing this man has ever known in his life is to not trust authority. Like, that went from school days to prison. It didn't matter. Yeah, and they don't talk about his father at all, so I don't know the history there, you know, but that, I mean, that has a lot to do with you know I mean how you turn out it's just harder when you don't have like a good male role model yeah good you know yeah no matter what you are lacking in your home life I think yeah and he dropped out of school I mean you don't have an education you're gonna have a harder time getting a job you maybe feel like you need to turn to other means to get by I don't know that's just a tough a tough go he was most recently released from prison in October of twenty fourteen. God, that's two months before Quentin met Jessica in November at the Eminem convenience store, and they exchanged numbers and started talking the next day. And Eminem kind of seems like a place where people just like go and hang out. Mm-hmm. And some people said all these like internet sleuths or whatever would say that that's where people sell drugs. You'll see a lot of drug deals there, and I think there was a private investigator they talked to in the documentary who was like, We went there different times of day for varying lengths of time. We never saw anything like that. So they're just making up shit. Yeah. They're like, Well, Eminem is where the drug deals happen. It's like, Who told you that? Like, you've never been here. Quentin and Jessica had only known each other for about two weeks when she was murdered. Jessica's parents, as well as all the friends they asked, had never heard of Quentin. He agreed to take a polygraph, and he passed it. Over the course of the investigation, he was questioned five times, the last three of which were videotaped. During those interrogation videos, Quentin tells investigators that he and Jessica hung out all the time. Jessica would come to Quentin's mom's house when she had troubles at home. Beth Karras, she's the host of this documentary, but if you guys have watched the Casey Anthony or Jodi Arias uh, Like American murder mystery or whatever on ID. She is in those. She's blonde and she was like, used to be a court TV reporter. And I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she's been a prosecutor and all that kind of stuff. So she's the host of it. But she visited the TELUS home and she was able to talk with Quentin over the phone one day. So he like happened to call his mom while she was there. And she got him on speakerphone and asked about his relationship with Jessica. And he said that they were friends. And when she pressed further, Asking if they were romantically involved at all. He said that they weren't really trying to have a boyfriend and girlfriend relationship. They just enjoyed spending time together. And during the videotaped inter- interrogations, Quentin was asked many times if he was with Jessica the day that she died. He had previously admitted to police that he was with Jessica early in the day that she died. But they found later that he was also with her that night, or at least his cell phone was. His cell phone and her cell phone both pinged on the same tower at the same time, and in the eyes of the police, he had lied about his whereabouts that night. So Quentin says in the interrogation, I wasn't with her that night, and the investigator says, really? And Quentin says, really? And he raises his right hand like he's swearing. And the investigator says, are you being honest with me about that? You promised to God. And Quentin says, right hand to God. And the investigator says, right hand to your mama's life. And Quentin says, right hand on my mama. I was not with her that night. Rebecca was brought in, and the police tell her basically to just try and get him to plead guilty. (laughs) Which, I mean, if you're going to say... I think he knows more maybe than what he's letting on or I feel, or he hasn't maybe been completely honest with us. Can you convince him to tell us the truth? But just to be like, get him to admit that he killed her. That feels leading Mm -hmm. a little bit to me. When she walks in the interrogation room, she sat in front of Quentin and she was talking to him quietly. And she said, they told me all these stories. Did you do it? Don't lie to me. And he was adamant. He said, I'm telling the truth. I didn't do it. His mom told him that the police were going to charge him with murder. And Quentin told her that he didn't do it, that he drove her car to the liquor store once, but that was it. He repeated that he didn't kill her. At the end of his time with his mom, he stood up, helped his mom stood up, and gave her a big hug. And according to experts hired by the prosecution... Jessica and Quentin's cell phone data placed them in close proximity the day that she was set on fire, and they considered that a break in the case. So they're they're hinging everything on the fact that they believe that their cell phones were close together, everything. As soon as they had confirmation about the cell data, the investigators went looking for Quentin, but they couldn't find him. They found out that he was in jail in Louisiana as of August 2015. So now we have to talk about another young woman. Ming-Chen Mandy Xiao was a 34-year-old foreign exchange student from Taiwan. According to police, neighbors of Mandy called to report a foul odor, and when they went to the apartment on August 8, 2015, they found Mandy murdered. The ADA at the time in Louisiana noted that there were superficial puncture wounds to her neck and chest area that seemed to suggest torture. Mm-hmm. This was only eight months after Jessica's murder, and Quentin Tellis was living near Mandy. According to a neighbor, Quentin was at Mandy's apartment about two weeks before her body was found. The neighbor ran into him at the bottom of the stairs, where Quentin asked a bunch of questions about Mandy. Where was she? When did she see her last? The neighbor remembers this encounter vividly because she was so creeped out about it. Louisiana authorities also used cell records to place Quentin within 200 feet of Mandy's apartment on the night she was murdered. Quentin was quick to provide alibis that ended up not panning out. However, on August 18, 2015, Quentin was caught on ATM camera using Mandy's debit card. Ooh. Let's see. The last person that used a debit card that we talked about was Mm -hmm. Israel Keys, Mm -hmm. And we know what he did. Yes, we do. So this isn't looking good. Quinton was arrested and booked for unauthorized use of a debit card. And unfortunately, at that time, they didn't have enough evidence to charge him with murder because there was no DNA or physical evidence in Mandy's apartment. But he obviously was not ruled out as a suspect. He pled guilty to the unauthorized use of a debit card, and he got 10 years in jail for that. When the DA in Mississippi discovered this, they went to Louisiana to talk to Quentin Tellis. So this began the first of those three recorded interrogations, and this was in the jail in Monroe, Louisiana. During one of the interviews, DA um, Champion, John Champion, tells Quentin that it's time to tell the truth. He said that the evidence they have in the Jessica Chambers case was enough for him to feel comfortable going forward to trial, and Champion continued to tell Quentin that the decisions you make from here on forward have the potential to affect the rest of your life but Quentin remained steady he said I have no reason to lie to you and that's the God's honest truth I'm telling the truth and the investigator said you'd rather go to court and let a jury decide and he said I told the truth I didn't kill Jessica it ain't even in my heart to kill anybody Hmm. I have a lot of questions about why do you have Mandy's debit card she's dead Mm mm-hmm Beth Karras asked Quentin in a phone call if he killed Jessica. He said, no, ma'am. She said, well, what about Mandy? He said, no, ma'am. He told her that he felt like he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he said it was bad luck for certain. What? Wrong place, wrong time, wrong credit card or debit card? Like, I don't, I mean, there's no denying that. That's just a fact that he had her debit card. Yeah, so how did you get it? right. Why were you using it when you knew it wasn't yours? And also, it's a really big coincidence that it happened to be somebody who was murdered probably for the PIN number for their debit card. Right. Like, that... And... I mean, this is kind of like the staircase. Remember, you know, that whole thing. But the fact that his wife was killed by falling down the stairs, or she died. You know, he says she wasn't killed. but And then we find out that his friend, what was it, Elizabeth Ratliff, was that her name, mm-hmm. had died, what, 20-something years before that? Same exact way. Same exact way. Now, what are the odds that somebody very close to you in your life dies by falling down the stairs? That's already a small, it's like very, very, very slim chance. But then now, what are the odds that two people die that way? I just don't know. I just don't know about that. According to Mississippi law, Quentin's Louisiana conviction cannot be used in his trial in Mississippi. It's inadmissible. And I understand why. Like, I don't know. I understand why. But sometimes you're like, But why not? Not why not, but I don't know. He hasn't been convicted of Mandy's murder. He's only been convicted of using her debit card. And I know a lot of times they don't want to bring in previous stuff because it's not really supposed to have any bearing on... It's not directly related and stuff like that. But, again, it's... Because if you look at his previous arrest record, he doesn't have very violent crimes on them. So you could, as a jury, look at that and say okay, well, this is a guy who got arrested for drugs a few times, but he never got arrested for a violent crime. This is murder. This is not step one, right? Like, mm-hmm. usually you're going to have some other things leading up to that. But then we've got now another possible murder, and he's heavily involved in it, if not the murderer. Yeah. So, I don't know, they seem a little related to me in the fact that they're so close together. But But I do see why you wouldn't do that because you don't want it to be, you know, prejudicial information. Right. Yeah. I get why they can't use it or why they couldn't, but it'd be a lot cooler if he could. (laughs) Right. Uh, During the interview in Louisiana, Quentin is told by the investigator that the death penalty would definitely be a possibility. The DA took the death penalty off the table, but at the time, Quentin didn't know it and he just knew that he was in big time trouble for a murder that he's adamant he didn't commit. He got visibly upset during the interview and he even got up to walk out and the police told him they couldn't that he couldn't leave and he pushed through them no hands he just keeps walking and he just says get out of my way. So he's he's kind of freaking out at this point. So now we get to the first trial. DA John Champion has been the DA in that area since 2001. He and the assistant district attorney, Jay Hill, have been working on this case alone for three years as of 2017. On July 15, 2016, Quentin Tellis was arraigned, and he pled not guilty. His trial was set for October 9, 2017. Quentin's family came together to help pay the fees for a good defense attorney so he wouldn't be left to public defenders, and they hired a woman named Darla Palmer. Palmer and her co-counsel, Alton Peterson, agree that this case has been flawed from the beginning. On October 9th, 2017, Quentin is transferred to Mississippi to attend jury selection because Mississippi law allows defendants to be present at every stage. I think that's good. Mm -hmm. I feel like you should be able to be there for that. Yeah, me too. Quentin was brought to the Pike County Courthouse in Magnolia, Mississippi. Oh my God, that sounds beautiful. Magnolia, Mississippi. But it has like weeping willows. Probably like a little gazebo, a little pond. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Magnolia was about 250 miles away from Cortland. While the trial would still take place in Cortland, it was agreed that they needed a jury from outside of the small town to ensure a fair trial. I don't even know if that's far enough away with how many people were in that Facebook group. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it's good that they didn't get people from in Cortland, but still. Yeah. Magnolia has similar demographics to Panola County, which is where the crime took place. When the jury selection was complete, there were seven men and six women, six white and six black. These men and women were given one hour to go home and pack for at least seven to 10 days. Good, Good Lord. God. On October 10th, 2017, the trial began with the Honorable Judge Gerald Chatham Sr. presiding. That is a name. It is. When John Champion began his opening statements, he gave the jury his idea of what had happened the night Jessica Chambers died. He said that he believed Quentin and Jessica were hanging out, but something occurred to make him angry, and then he suffocated her. Maybe Quentin wanted sex and Jessica didn't. Whatever the reason, after she was unconscious, he thought he'd killed her and he needed to get rid of her. So he took her to the spot that she would eventually be found with her car and set her car on fire when defense attorney Darla Palmer stood for her opening statement she said Jessica was walking and talking when the first responders arrived when these first responders asked who did this to you Jessica said Eric more than eight people heard this and reported it once the attorneys finished their opening statements Jessica's mom is the first person to take the stand she's obviously very distraught and she was asked to describe Jessica in her life And then she went over the events of December the 6th, 2014, up until her last phone call with Jessica. A friend of Jessica's, LaKeisha, who goes by Keisha Myers, was called to the stand next and testified that she was with Jessica and Quentin that day. She said that Jessica came to pick her up around 10 a.m. and already had Quentin in the car with her. However, in Quentin's taped interrogation, he said that Jessica and Keisha came and picked him up. In both versions of the story, the three of them were just going to drive around and hang out for about an hour. Then, according to Keisha's testimony, Jessica dropped off Quentin and then took her home. Again, in Quentin's taped interrogation, those events were flipped. He said Jessica dropped off Keisha and that he and Jessica went back to his mom's house. The next witness to testify was a former volunteer firefighter, Cole Haley.
2: Mr. Haley, On December the 6th of 2014, at 8, 12 p.m., you responded to a car fire. Yes, sir.
1: When I arrived, I pulled on up to where the car was on fire. Did you know Jessica Chambers? I I knew her. We weren't, you know, friends
2: or anything, but I, I knew her. When you first arrived on the scene, did you recognize this
1: person? No, sir, I did not. What was this person wearing? When I seen her, she had nothing on but her pants. I got out and I got a blanket and she had her arms out, was coming towards me, saying help me, help me, help me. Nicole,
2: I I want you to describe for this jury, what did she look like? What was the condition of Jessica Chambers? Her hair was
1: fried out like she would stuck in the light socket. And uh, she had black all over her face. Her body was severely burned. And I wrapped the blanket around her to conceal her. She reached out for my hand. I held on to her hand. And her, her mouth, inside her mouth was just charred black. I asked her her name. She said, Jessica Chambers," And she was not recognizable to me. I, I, I know what Jessica Chambers looked like. Knowing this is Cortland, I said, this is Jessica Chambers, not Chambers."
2: In all your years of being a firefighter, have you ever seen anything like this?
1: No, sir, no, I hope I never see anything like it again.
0: When Cole asked his final, or when Cole was asked his final question by the prosecution, are you still on the fire department? He replied, no. And Ben Chambers later said that that whole ordeal really messed with Cole. He said that he's been in therapy since then. And he was pretty young when that happened. And he said that he was, Cole was a good kid. He'd always wanted to be a firefighter and help people. But that event scarred him so badly he couldn't continue and his testimony was really emotional like it was so sad during the trial multiple witnesses were put on the stand to describe the scene and Jessica the night of the fire a lot of people testified that she walked out of the woods like a zombie a lot of people use that analogy Um, some of them even referred to the walking dead they said it was like a scene out of the walking dead and because what they thought they were being called to was a car fire Nobody knew when they got there that there was a person on fire or that somebody had been burned. Um, At least two of the first responders who testified noticed a suspicious man hanging around the crime scene during all the commotion. He was described by one man as a middle-aged black man with a blue shirt on. The man never said a word and simply stared through the first responders and toward the car. When he was told that this was a crime scene he had to leave, He walked away, but he kept turning back to look. The defense asked if they ran the plate and then just moved on. Nothing really came of that. You would think, like, if police were there, they would have asked for his ID or recognized him. Well, yeah, it being such a small town, it just, you would think that someone would be like, oh, hey, there's Carl. Yeah, like, hey, Carl, how's your mom and them? Right. What are you doing over here? Yeah, exactly. Mind your own business, Carl. Yeah, get the fuck out of here, Carl. It's a crime scene. Yeah. Something. Something. Like, why would nobody ask any questions? With that many people there, yeah, you would think that somebody would have recognized him or asked him for his identification because I'm thinking they would have already had to have known Jessica was burned by this point. Yeah. Very strange. I don't know. There had to have been police there. Why did nobody ask for his information? It doesn't make any sense. However, despite feeling that this was a suspicious person at a crime scene, the subject of him was left hanging in the trial. So then we have so many people. Volunteer firefighters Brandi Davis, David Gamble, Josh Perkins, Cole Haley, Deputy Darrell House, Sandra Haley, and at least seven or eight other people testified that they heard Jessica say Eric or Derek. There was no question about that.
2: What did you find upon your arrival at the scene? I found Jessica standing. I asked her her name, and she replied, Jessica, I asked, who did this to you? She replied, Eric. From what I could hear, it sounded like she said Eric. I asked her, who did this to you? And she said Eric. I've got 15 to 17 witnesses that I heard her say something akin to Derek or Eric. And I think that we can overcome
1: that. I said, honey, I bent down. I said, honey, who did this to you? And all I heard was Eric.
2: You had your ear right to her.
1: Oh, yeah, honey. i try and to find out who, who did this to her.
0: There's just so many people that, that they really, it, they weren't like, I thought I heard. They were like, no, she said Eric or Derek. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all there was to it. And that's something that you told us to remember from earlier, Correct Amundo. So... This is the first trial. All these people are like, nope, for sure, she said, Eric or Derek. Now, that's going to change a little bit in the second trial. Mm. After the parade of first responders that were called to testify to the Eric or Derek statement, the prosecution began calling... did it again. <laughs> Why can't I say that word? It's a really began hard. calling? Yeah, it's a really hard word. Becan the prosecution began calling medical personnel that worked on Jessica in the hospital. So what they have to do is they have to overcome the fact that everybody said Eric or Derek did it because it doesn't sound like Quentin tell us at all, Mm -mm. not even close. So now they're going to be bringing in medical professionals to say, but look at her injuries. So we have Dr. William Hickerson, the medical director at regional one burn center and he testified that Jessica was burned over 95% of her total body surface area, that a majority of the burns were deep dermal or third-degree burns. You cannot imagine. He explained that a first-degree burn is like a sunburn, but a third-degree burn goes all the way through the skin with no chance of survival or regeneration of that tissue. Dr. Hickerson also testified that the first responders who described Jessica moving like a zombie were probably correct because her skin would have been leathery and it wouldn't have moved normally, that her facial expressions would have been non-existent. And when asked by the prosecution if a person with these injuries to their lips and mouth would have difficulty speaking, Dr. Hickerson was adamant that without a doubt it would be very difficult and Jessica would not be able to enunciate properly. The defense said, okay, You say it's difficult, that doesn't mean it's impossible. Maybe she lost function between the scene and the burn unit, and she did. I mean, by the time she got to the burn unit, she was pretty much in a coma. Like, they lifelighted her, but she wasn't responsive anymore. Mm -hmm. The defense says 10 to 15 people heard her speak, and they said they heard Eric or Derek. And Darla Palmer said, basically, with all due respect, Dr. Hickerson, you can't say with 100% certainty that she didn't say Eric or Derek because you weren't there. Mm -hmm. So she's poking holes. Well, and I mean, I'm not an expert on anything, but Eric, Derek might be harder because you need, you use more, you know, like there's another tongue and yeah. yeah, but Eric is not the hardest word to say you without can, using your mouth very much. Yeah, you, know? you can almost say it. You could almost say it without movement, really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if she had to say like O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, that would be tough. It'd be tough. Or <laughs> our three year old is learning, you know, he does the three year old thing where instead of elves, he does like you know, W's or whatever. So he's like, we're trying to get him to like, you know, we're like, l, la la," And he's like, mom, can you say l, 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 pop?" I'm like, well, you got to use it in the word though. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so yeah, there's, you know, all these different ways that obviously you use your mouth to make sounds and it's, it's a lot of stuff. But Eric, you don't have to use quite as much. I mean, if you're going to super enunciate it. Sure. But you could just kind of like, eh, -hmm. Blip, blip, (laughs) blip. Sorry. That's enough of that. That's Mm -hmm. enough. The medical examiner who performed Jessica's autopsy testified that the cause of death was marked as soot and smoke inhalation and dermal injuries. The manner of death was ruled as a homicide. There was no blunt force trauma to Jessica's body, but a toxicology report did find the presence of marijuana, which is like, duh. She's a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that. Tells you anything one way or the other. But they don't say anything about any other drugs. Right. Any handfuls of methamphetamines. How how did you say it? I don't even. Methamphetamines. Methamphetamines. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, there's nothing else in her system. And Boone was talking about that she was on the hunt for all kinds of stuff, it seemed like. Well, Boone can blow it out his ass, basically. Yeah, I think Boone was high on methamphetamines. (laughs) (laughs) wandered in here high on ecstasy (laughs) the prosecution called the fbi agent who questioned quentin at his home and asked him about his visit that agent claimed that while he was there quentin told him about the five gallon gas can he had in his shed and they kind of made they almost made like well and did you know that he did have a five gallon gas can in his shed and it's like, well, duh. So yeah. does everybody else in the country. like? No shit. Yeah. Like, maybe not in a city. But, like, there are some people who, I don't know, in New York City, you don't even drive a car. Mm-hmm. But, like, what if your car breaks down? People have gas cans for that. But also, like, how are you going to get your weed eater to start? Yeah. You want your yard to look like shit? No. You, you need a gas it. can. exactly. So... I don't know, they make a big deal about that, but it's like, okay, you have a gas can too, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he did ask Quentin about his relationship with Jessica, and he would eventually tell him that he did have sex with Jessica in her car's passenger seat with the seat leaned back, and that is a small detail that will come up later, so file that one away. It was also during his testimony that it was revealed that the day after Jessica died, Quentin deleted all of his communication with her and her contact in his cell phone. That is so weird. It's weird. Especially if you were supposed to be really good friends with her. Or, I don't know, I guess they'd known each other for two weeks, but he said they hung out every day for two weeks. Like, if you hung out with somebody every single day, like, even if you just met them, if it was somebody you were romantically interested in or just friends with, and you find out they died, were burned alive, basically... You're just gonna be like era done, all, yeah, yeah, like nice knowing you that's that's weird, it is later when Beth karras asked him why he deleted Jessica's information from his phone, he said, "I wasn't scared, but like after we found out that uh who it was and stuff, who it was that died there, I mean, I just deleted my the contact with her because I mean, I didn't want to have a deceased person, uh." information in my phone with a number in my phone that's just gonna no longer be used (laughs) like are you that concerned that you have an unused contact in your phone like I only keep contacts that I know I'm going to talk to in the next 72 hours it's just so ridiculous I have so many contacts in my phone of people that I probably met once drunkenly in a bathroom. Never going to call them. Never going to text them. And yet they're still in there. Yeah. I mean, because who goes through their phone and deletes all their contacts? Like, nobody cleans that shit up. No. Unless you're bored as hell. Yeah. Or unless you're one of those people on Facebook that's like, I'm going to see her response to this, and then I'm deleting everybody else. Like, if you're a real friend or whatever. Like... Oh, so silly. It just seems so weird. Like, why would you do that? Especially the way that she died. Why would you do that? And directly after she... You know, like, that doesn't... I mean, I can understand if they had a falling out... Yeah. Two weeks before that. Right. But the day after she dies, that is... It's super weird. I mean, it doesn't... It does not mean that he murdered her. No, but it doesn't look real good. It doesn't look good. No. So... Come on, Quentin. I know. This is going to bring us to day three of this trial. And this is where we're going to hit the pause button (laughs) because we're, you know, we're at about an hour. I think this is going to be a two-parter. It looked like it might be three before, but I think it's just going to be two. We're full steam ahead here, so. We are. And just got to tell you guys, we do not have part two recorded. So. Sorry. Yeah, it's going to be coming out. Whenever. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) If you're a Patreon, we're going to get it like ASAP. Yes. But that's the best we can do for now. So. Sorry about it. Sorry. But uh, we'll get to the rest of the trial and then the second trial next episode. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening and we will catch you next episode. Bye. Bye. Also, my friend Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Texted me today and said that she missed the VMAs. Which oh, no. I didn't know was even still a thing. And that she wanted to go back and watch the Shawn Mendez performance because it was steamy with his girlfriend. And I was like, what the fuck is a Shawn Mendez? Yeah. She was like, he's this like super like haughty 20 year old singer. Oh, so. he did a Calvin Klein ad. Woof. Delicious. Marky Mark Delicious? Pretty fucking close. I'm going to look it up. Really? Mm hmm. Yeah, I if mean, you guys don't follow us on Instagram, Tori posted a fantastic Marky Mark. Actually, Instagram said it's performing better than 89% of our other posts. <laughs> I know what the people want. <laughs> we want Marky Mark in <laughs> <and> a Speedo. <laughs> I think those are boxer briefs, but we could handle a Speedo, I think. Sure. Yeah. He's got the body of a grown-ass man. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? It just went from six to midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there it is. I'm not mad at him. Of course you're not. He's very young, Mary. He's got from the neck down. I'm into it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with his face. I just don't. He's just very young. Yeah. Well, he's like a little wee little babe. He's a Wayne. W A I N Oh <laughs> like dairy girl. I was thinking letter Kenny. Like oh <laughs> he's a <away>. white. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> now that's that's a body I can get behind too. I love when Glenn Why? <laughs> the way he says it is so funny. Oh man. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things nineties. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed, and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. (laughs) wireless <laughs>